So welcome to the Music is Win podcast. Phil McKnight, in case you guys don't know him, he knows his gear. As you can see here, you recognize this? Yes. This is a, uh, a custom one-of-a-kind shirt. Two of a kind. I got one, too. Oh, you got one. Okay. Yeah. Two of a kind. Gear is win, in case you guys are listening to the podcast. You may want to watch this one because we're going to be having a lot of toys on the screen. Um, so you can watch on YouTube or just check out Instagram. We'll have some stuff that we throw up. Phil, last time we chatted, it was for quite some time. Not necessarily yep. the last time, but one of my most memorable interactions with you was when we first got to Germany at GitCon in October. And I don't, do you remember any highlights of our conversation that lasted until like three in the morning? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, mostly, I don't know about you, mostly for me, it was just exciting to talk to somebody who does what you do. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, as a, you know, water cooler talk almost. Right. I also felt that way, and I also felt like I already knew you, so that was a, a really cool introduction that you, there was no real breaking the ice for any conversations, and right. I just, I learned a lot from you, and I learned that you like to drink some beers, and that's actually my first question. What is your favorite type of beer? Um, you know, so for me... I, I wasn't a beer drinker like my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't drink beer. Well, uh, even when I was in the army, I didn't drink beer until a few years ago, a friend of mine took me to one of these like, uh, microbrewery places where you sample. Yep. And I figured out the problem was I like dark beers. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah, well, because you know what it is. I didn't like beer. I didn't. I didn't like it, so I didn't drink it. You know what I mean? So you didn't my like the life. domestic like lager yeah. type stuff. And so what I learned was I kind of, so here's the thing for me about beer. I like to try a new beer. Mm. That's kind of the excitement. It's, uh, this is going to sound weird, but it's kind of like sushi to me. Going to a sushi place, trying new sushi. Yep. Right? That's what beer is to me now. So when I go places, like when we were there in Germany, I'm like, okay, I go to the, the bar and I say, okay, what's interesting? Give me a, I don't care if it's a chocolate beer or whatever you got, a mint beer. Just, I want to try something different. But I lean towards the darker ones, and I get to try a beer. So, Beer rhymes with gear. Yes. And you may say that your approach to trying gear is a lot like beer, except you probably had more gear than beer. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm looking at the, the wall of that shrine behind you. Oh, the like, pedals? Like, I, I don't know about if you're the same way, and probably a lot of guitar players or musicians in general who like gear is like, you have this necessity to have it perfectly arranged and organized and it yes. almost makes you feel safe and secure in your palace. So yes. how long did it take you to, uh, again, highly recommend viewing this episode on YouTube. How long did it take you to assemble your current, uh, setup in that studio there? Uh, you mean, you mean just the gear or just this, just this room, because this is kind of the backdrop for your YouTube videos. Uh, this actually, this came because of YouTube. Okay. Um, so I, I tend to, uh, I call it float. I float around the house. Um, so I have in my house, there's an amp and guitars in every room of the house. Whoa. So wherever I'm at, I may just like, 
I'm playing in the front room now, or I'm playing in the, you know, in the family room, or I'm, and um, so I never had a room with my stuff in it. It was just everywhere. Yeah. But then for YouTube, I'm like, oh, I better put it in a place where I'm filming. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's interesting, though. I, I'm my mind is slightly blown having having an amp in a. I don't know if I have enough amps to have a amp in every room. I'm sure you do, but. I think that might be, I could definitely have a guitar in each room. So that might be something that I, is it like hanging up or just sitting? Oh yeah, they're hanging all so through the house. So it's actual my, decor. Yes. Uh, my, uh, cause, and I hate admitting this stuff. This is the stuff that sucks to talk about. My wife made me put wall hangers throughout the entire house because I have a habit that is so horrible that uh, it's, it's like a, it's a horrible thing to admit. I will put a guitar anywhere. I will lean a guitar against a cabinet. I will balance a guitar on a stool. And, you know, I'll just, wherever I'm playing, I'll just take my guitar and just put it somewhere. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I've even talked about this uh, in the past. I stick them in hampers, you know, like the la- your <laughs> yeah, laundry yeah, hamper. Yeah. I'll just shove it in there real quick. So my wife begged me for years, just put hangers throughout the house and just wherever I'm at, just hang a guitar because she hates, le- you know, seeing them laying places. Uh-huh. And the reason that is, is because I have kids. So to me, practice time, music time, is a opportunity of happenstance. Okay. You know that makes sense. They also, yeah. Like if my wife says, "Hey, we're going to go to the grocery store and grab some stuff for dinner tonight," that's twenty minutes of playtime. And so wherever I am when that happens, I just grab my guitar and start playing. What's What's your guitar horror story? You, you seem to have put yourself in predicaments where you could knock something over or what? What's the worst thing? You know, for me, uh, I don't have one because, um, like, let me give you an example. I don't lay any PRSs around. Okay. <laughs> I'm not laying my Les Pauls around. Right. Uh, strats. You know, guitars, like a Strat, you can drop it a couple of times. I mean, Jimi Hendrix set his on fire. It still works. Yep. I, <laughs> right. I, rem- I recall that, that legend. <laughs> yes. So um, the guitars that I, although I say that and I'm looking on my left and there's a PRS leaning against the wall right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to my left. To my, You're sick, but, man. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, so it, in my, my mind, it, if they get dented or dinged, those are the ones I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I want to use them. So they're more like tools for you that you don't necessarily like place your hammer gently on the ground necessarily. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to uh, bring up, speaking of PRS's leaning, I I have it on a stand right here, but there is one very special guitar leaning. Maybe you'll recognize it. Look at that. This is... Did you know I, I I named this guitar baby? Yeah, I did. I just don't know why. Well, because she's my baby. Oh, the first like guitar I earned. But you guys will have this podcast will be out by the time uh, Phil's sharpen my axe video is out, and my reception video of this guitar back into my hands will also be out. So check out. Phil's YouTube channel, and there's links for that in the description, in the show notes, but you'll have to go over to Phil's channel to figure out exactly what he did, all the logistics, but if you could give me your impression of this project, 
and tell me a little bit about how you got the idea for the Sharpen My Axe series. Maybe start sure. with that and then talk about this thing. Sure. Uh, so I, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I do certain things on YouTube, and I'm sure you feel the same way, there are certain things that I, uh, like when I, so I hit 25 million views. Right. And, and I don't know why. I, I tell people, like, the first time I hit 3,000 subscribers, I don't know why that was so important to me, but it was like, wow, 3,000. That was, I think it was harder to visualize 3,000 people than it was to visualize anything past that. Huh. Yeah, I think I felt like that. It Maybe I think I felt that same way, but when a video got like 10,000 views. Yes. And so for me, when I when the channel hit 25 million views, that was like, for some reason, so epic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. Because I think what it hit me was, there's only a few states in the United States that have over 25 million people in them. Mm, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, there's only like Texas, I think Florida, New York, and California. So, I mean, so you think about this, you're like, wow, I've talked to enough people to fill most of the states. You know, not combined, but each. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so I go, let's do something fun. And I go, let's do a contest. And I and what happened was I had this weird uh, feeling. I said, well, if I give a guitar away... Let's say you give a PRSSE away. Yeah. And you've done that many times. You know, you give away, I think your channel gives away the most stuff I notice, right? To your fans. Yeah, I, I definitely like to do giveaways. It's fun. And so I was thinking about doing that, and then I got this weird feeling like, what happens if I give this uh, PRSSE away, and the guy that wins it is like me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's got, you know. <laughs> that was, that's always hard with the giveaways. It's like, I really hope somebody, both, both guitars, I've given away a couple PRS guitars, and both times it's gone to very deserving people luckily but yeah I, I understand that concern so i thought what can i do that where i think the th- the people who win can really appreciate what they want and so i was talking on a live broadcast and i said what if i pick five people one for every five million people mm-hmm. and tricked out your guitars and all you have to do is pay to ship it to me i'll take care of everything after that and this is what was really cool Justin at Graph Tech was watching the live show and he just chimed in. He goes, we would help support that, Phil. We'll we'll provide parts. Oh, that's sweet. So it was like a real spur of the moment, like organic thing. Yeah, it, it just happened right then. Also, that made it to where I had to do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, you are now accountable. <laughs> so, um, so I picked five people and I tricked out their guitars. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Um, on the whole idea that I get to decide what happens. You know what I mean? Yep. So. So nobody nobody asks you to do things. They basically submit their guitar to you and say, "Do your worst." In this case, his best. Uh, right. And what what are the things you typically? Obviously, it varies on guitar, but you kind of look at the pickups or you look at the the tuners or what what do you look for first? So so what I what I did instinctively for those and yours too is instead of looking at the guitar, I looked at the person, oh, the player. that's interesting. Right? So if somebody said, uh, and you can, te- you can tell in a brief conversation, you can hear something when somebody's like, yeah, it has to have trouble staying in tune. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. Make sure the nut's right, the tuners work, everything works. So I, I looked at each one, and I still do as, okay, this is the player. What, could, what would the player find interesting, or what would benefit them and that's how I approached each one, and that's how I plan to pr- keep approaching them as we do these, you know, videos. Is all right. Get a sense of the person, and what can I do to make it more, 
make the guitar more aligned with them. So without, uh, like I said, go check out the Sharpen My Axe video for this particular guitar that I'm holding. But to give a little teaser or your synopsis of that video, what were your impressions? So, so your guitar, um, what I what I thought about first, the first thing I thought about with your guitar was watching your videos. You know, you'll do a video and you're very in tune with the fact that, hey, this video is going to be stratty tone, so you grab your strat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, you you align the sound, the correct guitar tone with the correct style. Not everybody does that. So, you know, some people will, like on YouTube, it's particularly, they'll do a metal song on their strat with single coils. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but you will go, and consciously, you can tell, like, this guitar... I'm going to use the Floyd Rose guitar for this type of video. And then I'm going to use this style of guitar for this type of video. And so when I was looking at the guitar, I thought, you know, what's cool is now Paul Reed Smith is more like that SE245, that guitar right there was really Paul Reed Smith kind of doing a Les Paul. Right. And then now on the 594 that he does, even though that's a Les Paul, he realized that the coil splits were a good idea because you get more tone varieties. That's just a spoiler alert. That's my favorite thing you did. Aside from the so, aesthetic, I don't know. I'm a sucker. Like I said, like we started this video off with, I'm just a sucker for stuff that looks nice and really, really nice uh, improvements. And that's what tied into the two things. So I thought, okay, if the guitar could be more versatile, mm. then you could use it more. And, and then also, uh, you seem very meticulous as a person. The conversation we had that night... <laughs> You're a very meticulous personality, right? Which is a very good compliment. I hope you take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? of course. I'm a, yeah. I'm a psycho about certain things, but only only internally do I sound like a psycho, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's why, if you notice, I focused on, like you said, the aesthetics. Hey, let's upgrade the knobs. Let's make these, you know, these improvements, too, because I thought, okay, these are things you'll appreciate because it'll make the guitar... Like, to me, I know it sounds silly to me. You know what I love? I love the bone pickup rings so much more than the yellow ones. Oh yeah, that that was a massive upgrade. I mean, as far as the aesthetic goes, because the yellow ones sort of looked like I, I hadn't cleaned them or something. Yes. And it's and I you don't know how much time I spent trying to clean this guitar before you got it, because you do know your gear. Your channel is know your gear, and you know your gear, so it's actually quite an accurate title. And I think that was the first compliment I paid you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, which is, yeah, it's a, it's about, yeah, knowing, right? Learning, figuring it out. And you're, you're an interesting person because it is so hard to not be biased when you're reviewing products and uh, giving your opinions about them. So I think you are really unique in the way that you present f- logic and facts and still manage to, you know, give someone your perspective, but not in a way that will necessarily influence them one way or another. And you even do uh, little, you have little logos that appear depending on how you received the product, which I think is just another way for you to be transparent and, I just think that is so helpful. So if anybody's looking for any sort of gear review, if you find one on Phil's channel, that's the one you should take to the bank. And you're almost 
more about, and I'll let you correct me, but I feel like you're more about the actual gadgetry and what separates it from one thing to the next necessarily uh, than the tone or, or like demoing them. And you do do demos, but how would you describe what differentiates you from the plethora of other gear reviewers out there? I think the only thing I, I agree. All right. Obviously like I use, I like this analogy or I like this connection um, because I love Pete Thorne. Right. Who doesn't who all like, who doesn't Pete? love Pete yeah, Thorne? Yeah. Um, and me and Pete, just like you and I at GitCon had a conversation and, and Pete and I's conversation, I think really made sense to me. He's a demoer. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to see what a pedal can do, mm-hmm. you give it to Pete Thorne and he's going to show you. Yep. <laughs> this is what this pedal can do, okay? Um, and um, and I I look at it like more of like a reviewer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so much like I'm going to show you the best of it. I'm just going to give you – we're going to go just like a movie review. I'm going to give you the, hey, here's the things I liked. Here's some of the things I thought could have been better, and here's the things, you know, that – you know what I mean? It's, uh, I take you down a little roller coaster of it a little bit. Sure. Um, and the, the logic being – and the, the, the focus on that is one of the, the great benefits in, is of YouTube is also is the fact that we can now experience gear yep. through a video, right? Totally. The downfall, though, is we all know that that is not the same. It's a virtual experience. It's not the same as touching it and trying it and playing it. So when I try to do a review, I'm trying to say, hey, look, I know you're not here touching it. So what can I relay to you that's going to get you close to understanding what it is like to be here with it so that you can make a more informed decision if you decide to buy it. Why do you care so much about gear? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because it's obvious. I mean, when you're reviewing, it's, there's, there's extreme passion about the gear and it's like, I've never seen, you don't get overly excited, but you're talking about a freaking EQ pedal and you're just like, and this and this and this and this. Like, why are you so uh, excited about gear? I think this is what I. Here's my theory. Has no, and and I'll, and I'll include you in this. Okay. Right. And see see how close I get. My theory is that we all us musicians we all want to be next to music. It's all about music. Uh huh. And through situations, through luck through all the variables that apply we all get to find hopefully find a way that gets us as close to it as possible through right mm-hmm. so some people are going to be steve i and they're going to tour the world being a guitar player right yep. and some people are going to be pete thorne and they're going to have to be the side guy or, or even use dave wiener right he's the guy who can play like steve i but he gets to stand next to steve I, right, right right you know what i mean um and neither of those situations are bad that's just both two people that love music, they want to be close to it. They found two different paths to get there, right? And then there's going to be the guitar instructor in the back of a store somewhere. That's the guy that's like, hey, I, this is how I'm going to be close to music every day, right? And I think there's something wrong with us, and you and I, I so I'm picking on you too, that says, I would rather find a way this way to be next to music than work a secure, a job with the benefits package and the 401k and the right uh-huh. i'll open a music store i'll review gear i'll uh be a tech for a touring band i'll you know what i mean everybody just says what can i do to be close to music so for me 
my way to be close to music, my thing that I could offer to the to the universe of music to be part of it was I'll spend my time in engineering. You know, kind of like you went to Berkeley and learned music. Yeah. Theory. So you could understand music. So you could teach music. You know what I mean? And be part of music that way. I said, okay, well, I'll be part of this education process, the gear process. Mm-hmm. Because that's how I'll be next to music. I know that sounds kind of weird, but no, that that's totally make that makes a lot of sense. Just finding your place in the music universe is something that maybe not a lot of people. You may become overwhelmed if you're trying to forge a career in music. It's like, well, how does what does that mean? How do I go from being in my bedroom to being in the production studio with Justin Timberlake or something, or being on the stage with insert pop act or whatever here uh so that's really interesting so where did your experience come from to back up your your passion how do you know so much about gear so um what i did was uh and uh, and again i'm kind of deferring to you because i'm curious too so i find i wish it would somebody would have told me when i was 16 that there was all these musical paths yeah what I was basically understood at 16 was you could be a rock star or you could be, you know, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, right? pretty you know much. I mean? there was, yeah, there was this one path and um, and that wasn't for me. So I didn't even look at that as an avenue, right? Mm-hmm. So what I did is I, I, call, I, I basically held music close to me all the time, but I joined the army. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, well, that's because that's, that's what you're going to do. Right, right. You know what I mean? That's yeah. your day job sort and, of thing. And then when I got out of, you know, the army, you know, of course, went to school and then, you know, I got a job in the corporate world. Right. Uh-huh. And, I, and I enjoyed all that. I got no, no, like I hated it. I couldn't wait to get out. I was like, I was fine with it. So what projected me here was um, I got an interaction, which isn't important, with music one day. And it was like, wow, if I could just have this taste again, this little, you know, interaction. Right. And um, and so I decided I'm going to start doing stuff. So I started building my own basses, my own bass guitars. Wow. And I go, okay, I'll start working on this, right? I'll start doing this. And I was doing it on the side and then I started importing them and it started doing well. And what I decided was, this is the funny part. What I decided was working on the instruments was I was good at it. I liked it. But um, if you lock me in a room yep. and make me work all day, it's not really what I enjoy to do. Right. That's an important realization. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm kind of people driven, so I want to interact with people. So I decided to open a music store. I go, okay, that's what I'll do next. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the next iteration of what I'll do. Okay. And so at the music store, you know, we had a lesson academy to the store and I did the repairs, of course, right? Because I already was established in the area as a, as a person who could do that. Um, and so I did that. And that's back to my original theory. That's how I'm going to be part of music, right? Yep. I'm going to help people make their decisions about products. And I'll have a lesson academy like you. We'll teach people how to play music uh, because that's the most powerful, I think, feeling. Yeah. I mean, right? You know, that whole... For me, it wow, is. Somebody, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so it's, 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 it's really great to feel that way. And um, my joke, I have a joke I'll share with you. Um, you know what the difference is between... Uh, but you know what the difference between selling a guitar and selling a TV is? No. Okay. It, it All you have to have is a butt to buy a TV. <laughs> right? Yeah. You just sit and watch TV. But you can't sell a guitar to someone unless they learn to play it. You know what I mean? Okay. 
So to me, that's why I reason I tell that joke is because I, I, I always I always kind of push that on music stores all the time. Like, hey, if you're not helping teaching people, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Best Buy doesn't have to teach people to watch TV. They just sell TVs. Music stores have to help this process. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So um, so I did that. And then um, and we talked about this that one time, too. I, I started doing YouTube videos. And I. They started, you know, kind of gaining momentum mm-hmm. and sucking up more time. What I've learned is the YouTube uh, is a black hole of time suck. <laughs> that's a that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, and then okay, that that's my next iteration. But either way, it doesn't matter to me. What I think is funny is people look at it like, okay, you have a store, you build guitars, you have a YouTube channel. They look at it differently. I look at it as this is just all the ways I've figured out how to be next to music. To kind of go further on your channel side of things i've been trying i've been really watching your channel a lot since we met in person but i had watched it before but i've noticed the way that you approach youtube is really unique in that correct me if i'm wrong i don't know if you have a consistent publishing schedule or a certain day other than your live show which seems to be at least to me the staple phil mcknight Thing on your channel right now can you talk right. about how you've uh, have you've approached like a publishing schedule or, or th- if you even think about that stuff well you said that's why when we started this you said do you remember what would happen in the conversation mm-hmm. yeah you gave me this tip see i hadn't had that much beer <laughs> you gave me this tip i think we were more jet lagged than anything <laughs> and i haven't been able to put it into practice but I'm very conscious of it, and I am striving for it. So it did fix one thing. And you were talking about consistency, right? Yeah. You're very focused on this. It's like being consistent, making sure stuff comes out in a consistent way. And from that conversation, my observations now watching more YouTubers, you know, I watch a lot of them, but now dissecting it that way, I'm noticing like your your for, your formula of your consistency is very effective because they rely on it. People can rely on when music is when is happening. Yeah. And so that the only thing so far I've been able to implement is if you look since GitCon, since our conversation, like you said, my live broadcast at three on Friday is, I just, I baby steps. I said that will happen every Friday. Before that, it was inconsistent. Sometimes I did them on Friday. Sometimes I didn't. I'd push it to a Saturday. Mm -hmm. I was moving around. What I've learned from that, from your comment, is that that live broadcast has skyrocketed it in performance. Cool. And it's very obvious. You can just click my history on that and look the pre-GitCon, post-GitCon, you, that consistency improved. So I'm trying now, my next goal in life is to be consistent on my, I'm putting a video out every Wednesday. So I have a video, a video every Wednesday and a video every Friday. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I'm trying to do, kind of like the live thing is, is not just say I'm going to do that. Like once I do it, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I I I, I do it. A month and a half ago, I had a, like a fever of a hundred and something that I was dying. <laughs> and I still did the live show at three o'clock because I was like, no, it's every Friday at three. Yeah. <laughs> consistency, consistency, consistency. I thought that was a great tip, so I I put it in practice. Well, I'll expect my cut of all of your uh, your live <laughs> earnings in the mail, but uh, I I do really. I'm really impressed by your live shows because I do live stuff kind of sporadically. I'm more of a, uh, you know, an editor and I like to do content that's pre-made. 
Um, but when I do live shows, I don't have even a quarter of as many people watching as you do. And the, the ratio of people who watch, uh, to your channel size is like magnificent compared to any, any channels that I watch. So is there something that you can pinpoint about your live shows and that you could, you know, like recommend other people look for if they're trying to be YouTube creators or, or why people should come watch your live show? What's it all about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they should come watch the hair, the live show because of my cool haircut. Oh yeah. No, I'm That's just, actually the best part. Uh, yeah. And by the way, it's um, at three o'clock Arizona time on Fridays. Yes. So what yes. mountain time? I, yeah. Is that what it's called? Basically. <laughs> yeah. The Five o'clock Eastern. Yes. Um, so what I think, what I think that's unique about it, uh, is, uh, and I, the reason I think this, I'll tell you the, the thing, cause we both interviewed Paul Reed Smith, right? Yeah. And I loved your interview with Paul Reed Smith and I'll tell you why, cause of my, the way I do it, why I have a problem with, with having people on. Mm-hmm. I think what makes that, what the, sh- the, the live broadcast is about is it's not about anybody, but the people who watch. Oh, okay. That's cool. Right? So so think about this. Like right now, I'm a guest on your your podcast. Right. So so people get to learn about me, and I'm kind of excited about that because I have an opportunity to do that. I watched the Misha one, you know, that you did on Monday, mm-hmm. and I got to learn about Misha. On my live show, if you think about it, the guests are the people who are watching. Yep. Because all I'm doing is just rapid fire answering their questions and and, and having a quick conversation with them. It's really just micro, it's like 30 micro guests, mm, right? Yeah, that's really neat. And so it's like, uh, so the, the uh, that's what I think I, I like about it. I think that's what uh, people like about it. Okay, well, with all that said, since you are seemingly a question master, uh, or an answer master, I should say, I, I actually put out in my, uh, have you used the YouTube community tab? It's kind of like Facebook for YouTube. I don't know how else to describe it. I haven't used it, but I see yours. Yeah, so I put out, I said, who's got questions for Phil? Anything goes. Oh, no. So I'm going to see, I'm going to ask, this is a little Q&A segment. Uh, If the human body is 90% water, why can't we put out fire with our bodies? Answer me this, Phil. Come on, Q&A master. Oh, man. Uh, I think we do put out the fire. It's just a little too late. Oh, that's good. Okay, uh, another weird one. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your favorite color of the alphabet? Interpret that one how you will. Yeah, that's... I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) He has no... no, we We got him, guys. Yeah. Phil McKnight answers questions every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, but he can't answer that one. So don't ask him about the color of the alphabet. Uh, This is an interesting one. Can you play any other instrument besides guitar? This is kind of a trick question because you're not a guitar player first, are you? No. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, I play bass Ah. uh, by far. 
so I play bass the majority of the time, and then I play guitar. and And I would love to do bass, but uh, you know, like I just did a bass video a week ago, and I got so many emails. And they're like, "It was so great. Why don't you do more of that?" Mm-hmm. And it literally was my lowest viewed video in the last like three months. And I'm like, uh, "Probably because of that." Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's tough when you try and do different styles of content and test them out. Like my podcasts are probably the least viewed, unless it's a guest like you or, or somebody in the YouTube community where people actually know who they are. Um, cause it's, I never did long form content before, so people aren't necessarily accustomed to it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, another question here. How do you defeat guitar discouragement or discouragement on an instrument? I guess when you feel like you don't want to practice or you're down in the dumps, what do you do personally to get out of that? Sure. You know what I do is, uh, I, I love to go see live music. I watch other musicians. Everybody's going to be different, what motivates them. Mm-hmm. But what I've found is, for me, uh, and so I recommend it because it works for me, I'm never as fired up as when I'm either jealous. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, you know what I mean? And I know that's kind of a horrible way to say it, but it's just true. Sometimes when you're standing in the crowd watching somebody amazing and you're like, man, why can't I be just 5% of that? Right. You know what I mean? And and then you go and practice. And I find uh, that's how I fight ruts. When I'm practicing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I go, go find some more inspiration. Uh, and there's lots of it out there. Um, and now it's kind of, you can be lazy and just surf the YouTube and find it. Mm-hmm. You know what so I mean? But, who, are, who are some of your inspirations musically? Sure. My favorite guitar player is Monty Montgomery, if you've never seen that guy. I don't think I've ever heard of that person monty montgomery yeah i think he's i think the reason he didn't make it is a huge platform is because just his name you think he's like a country guy ah yeah i I guess i did kind of i i I just thought of west montgomery yeah but uh mont yeah monty montgomery is uh he plays an acoustic guitar but with an overdrive pedal and is phenomenal well, he's about to get a, a nice little Google SEO bump because people are going to go look for him now. So yeah. so that's how did you find him? You know how I found him was, uh, believe it or not, he has his own Alfred's acoustic, Yuri acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And one day uh, a rep for Alvarez was like, hey, have you ever seen the Monty Montgomery guitar? And I said, no. And they showed it to me. It was $3,500. Wow. And I thought, who? And, it's, and it comes destroyed. Like, you know, relic, but it's extremely relic, like destroyed. Huh. And they go, and they go, it's a clone of his 86 guitar that he's been beaten up because he uses his neck on the acoustic like a tremolo arm. Oh, like, like, uh, to do the yeah, wavering thing. On. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so anyway, so I saw this guitar and probably as you can imagine, I'm like, who's this guy who gets a $3,500 guitar? Uh-huh. And so here's what's funny. This is why the story's funny. I went and bought his CD. Yep. And I saw the rep a couple weeks later, and he goes, what'd you think? And I said, he's good, but the guy playing the Strat is killing it. And he goes, dude, what are you talking about? It's a three-piece band. He plays all the guitar, there's a bass player and a drummer. And I go, no, there's a guy playing a Strat, and there's the acoustic in the background. He goes, no, that's him. When he goes to do the solos, he just kicks in a light overdrive, and he plays like these Eric Johnson riffs on the acoustic with his fingers. So you thought his acoustic guitar with an overdrive was a Strat? Yeah, because it's got this just... It doesn't sound like when you think of an acoustic with a 
a overdrive, you have a horrible picture in your head, right? Yeah. Yep. And and so to me, it was two levels for for me for him. First level was finding out that he was actually playing that through an acoustic was an impressive thing. Mm-hmm. The second level was the first time I went and saw him live, realizing that he was playing that acoustic through a, a Boss Blues Driver pedal into a crate acoustic amp and getting that tone. Yeah, It's just, just proof that it's all in the fingers. Oh, absolutely, right? So, um, so like I said, I highly recommend it. And if people are going to check him out, uh, his version of Little Wing is a very impressive. Yeah. On, on the acoustic. Okay. So Monty Montgomery. Um, okay, a couple more questions here for you. Uh, will you answer this question? Yes. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Hold on. What kind of picks do you like? I, I want to know the answer to this. Yeah. Um, right now I'm using Dava picks. I knew you would really? say some Phil McKnight thing that I've never heard of. Yeah, and that, Dava picks. So what? why are those, why are those good? It looks like it has a little grip on it or something, or is that just... Yeah, it's they're, they're rubber-coated. And what they use is on the side of the pick, there's three lines, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's a hinge in the middle of the pick. It's actually hinged. Whoa. And so if you hold the pick at the back of the pick, because of the hinge, it's the same as having a thin pick. Right. So if you're playing acoustic, it kind of is, I, I use the word thwappy. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good adjective. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you move your thumb and finger to the second line, it's supposed to mimic a medium-sized pick because now you're holding the hinge tight. Okay. And and if you pinch up to the last line, which is what I do a lot, where now you're not none of the rubber is exposed anymore, mm-hmm. that's a ho- heavy pick. And it's good because usually when I'm pinched up towards the front of the pick like that, you can tend to lose the grip and it'll kind of fall back into your hand. So that helps yes. with that. Okay, I'm going to have to and check those out too. Yeah, and I started using these because, um, and you're because you're a Berkeley grad, right? Yes. Okay, so you're a perfect example of why I actually got interested in these picks. I hang out with a lot of guitar instructors, and over time you start learning things about musicians that are schooled and unschooled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I started learning was a lot of the Berkeley guys are really into where the pick is in their hand and placement and ergonomics and efficiency and wrist movements and there's a lot of you got like they put a lot of thought into your pick your picking mm-hmm. yeah it's it's kind of right. driven into our skulls by uh those who are far superior to us <laughs> in the classroom <laughs> um and me i was i was so impressed by that you know what i mean mm-hmm like so much thought put into something that a lot of people just physically just grab it and go to town with no no thought you know whatsoever yeah um when i saw this had a system to it i was interested in it you know because um a lot of the guys i don't know if you can see it but a lot of guys like i'm curious i'm gonna ask you a question okay so so i've seen a lot of berkeley guys see i hold a pick like like every other person with the two fingers here and the thumb there right Uh uh-huh but a lot of the Berkeley guys I see, they'll take their thumb and they put it across the pick like so. Yeah, that's how I do, I do it. Mo- yeah, see, this to me, this is the most impossible thing to do in the world. <laughs> this this movement. <laughs> well, that I could say that about what what. So you had it like this. Yes, I'm looking at it. Um, yep. Yep. Just like a camera. caveman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna grab my guitar. Let me just see. 
Look, I just played a chord that doesn't exist. <laughs> That's the first thing I did. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I think maybe the part of it is like I I got it in two fingers here, and my right. it's on the inside of my index finger, like the top third of it. That's where the right. it's kind of parallel with that, and it sits right in the pocket of the bending part of my thumb. Right. So it is kind of weird, I guess. But it gives me yes. it gives me a, a versatility to plant or hover and do real fast stuff, as opposed right. to this. I feel like there's an adjustment on my wrist. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe it's just a, a it's a a leverage thing for me, so I can I can switch up my my technique or my style depending on what kind of music I'm playing in an instant. And I think, so what I've learned about that is, unfortunately, which seems to be the answer is, if you start out wrong holding a pick, it's hard to fix that later. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at Paul Gilbert uh, or, or Petrucci or somebody who's just on another level and they hold it a little bit, di- everybody holds it a little bit different. And I, w- I would stress out in my earlier days when I was trying to be the best guitar player ever. It's like, I have to change everything. And, <laughs> and the truth is, do what's comfortable. That's the one thing I've learned with, I mean, is if you're not feeling pain and you're accomplishing your goals, then just do what's comfortable. Um, certain techniques, I think, have to be facilitated by certain ergonomic changes. But um, for the most part, what type of guitar player you end up being will be natural the most natural way to that you approach the instrument so it's uh it's an ongoing process I i feel like i'm always making little tiny incremental changes here and there okay that concludes part one of phil mcknight we're gonna be back with part two over on phil's channel philip mcknight the official name of that and i am going to be on phil's live show which again is every friday at 5 p.m eastern so we are going to be taking all your questions live and i'm hopefully going to make the show even better than it already is otherwise phil's never going to talk to me again so if you're listening or watching this podcast today march 30th then go over to phil's channel at 5 p.m eastern and hang out with us